Hello, you're listening to a Zen Studies Society podcast. To learn more about our community of Zen Buddhist practitioners, please visit zenstudies.org. Good evening. Here we are in the darkness of the night almost, in the cold of the winter, at the end of a driveway. Always coming to Daiposatsu Zendo reminds me of the path the air makes through our respiratory system. From the vast openness, the airways get smaller and smaller through your nose, through your trachea, into your lungs, and finally we end up at the end where there is no more to go any further. So these are the alveoli of the spiritual practice where you find yourselves here. This is where the exchange of that what used to be outside happens to that what used to be inside, and inside and outside completely dissolve in that process. And breathing is a very good image for that because at least as far as I can speak for myself, I have experienced this as a life-giving and life-sustaining process. So I do feel great gratitude that you all made it here, and I commend your courage. It's not an easy thing to go to those alveoli. Maybe you're being sucked in by some kind of cosmic breath, and you can't help yourself. Or maybe you are a scientist who wants to go and find out what is happening at that place where these things meet that we call inside and outside. Will you be oxygen, carbon dioxide? Maybe we change all the time. I can't imagine what it is like to come here and encounter the form and the practice that we follow here in the Rinzai tradition, we had a guided meal. Now do this. Now do that. I thought a meal was about eating. And then eventually, after who knows how many explanations, which Mukin gives very well, when do we get to eat? And some of you might have wondered or be a little bit surprised that you got yourself to the point where it was hard to decide what, do I have more pain in my legs or am I more hungry? Which one is it? Or is it both? If you really want to suffer, then both. If you can transcend that and just be with it, then it's neither. 
we also got a very good introduction on how to meditate, what Zazen is like. And again, it's, we get guidance here and there. But what happens then as soon as we sit down? All that guidance is gone. And we tune into the radio station that is really, really hard to tune out. It's called I-radio. The internal monologue goes on and on. If you thought that impeachment hearings are boring, internal monologue can be as boring, can be as upsetting and as disgusting, but also sometimes it can be wonderful. The only problem is that we cannot turn that radio off. And there is a lot of things that come out of that broadcast. Now, should we listen to it? Should we obey what comes through the radio? Good questions. But also what we have to learn here is to become silent, learning to become silent. And it might be surprising to you how we can get closer to that becoming silent. We think we have to turn that radio station off. But that's only one way of doing it. That radio station goes off when you go to sleep at night. If you really deeply sleep, no reception, not even static. But during Zazen, we can do it in various ways. And one of them is actually to just be with it, to listen to it, to hear it, and to not identify with the messages that come through it. It is something, no matter how long you, you engage in a practice like this, we are human beings, and at times things get us. I don't like to watch any kinds of sports games in which a home team is involved. Because it brings out in me what I think and know can be a problem. When suddenly it's the other team, whoever that is, that kind of separation comes into existence as soon as we start to identify, identify with the home team, whoever or whatever that home team is. Of course, we always identify with the one person team, which is ourselves. But then we like to abstract it and make it bigger and bigger. And then suddenly there's a we and them. So, very interesting. So just listen, but do not necessarily obey. How can we share a couple of things I thought today? And I think I will tell you a couple of stories. The first one is about learning to be silent. 
it is not easy. So in Japan, before Zen Buddhism arrived in the 12th century, there were other kinds of Buddhism there, esoteric Buddhism, Tendai and Shingon. And the students of the Tendai school used to study meditation. Of course, when Zen came, most of the meditation happened in the Zen context. So there were four of these students who were intimate friends and they studied Tendai. And during that meditation, to help themselves, they promised each other to observe seven days of silence. So let us be together for seven days and meditate and be silent. Their meditation started off really well in the morning. But then as night came, the oil lamps started to grow dim because they were running out of oil. And it got dark in the place where everybody meditated. Finally, one of the students could not help himself any longer and called one of the other monks. Fix those lamps. The second student was surprised to hear the first one talk. We are not supposed to talk, he remarked. The third one said, you two are really stupid. Why did you talk? And the last one muttered under his breath, I'm the only one who has not said anything. (laughs) (laughs) You might find yourself in similar situations. Maybe we are all of those four together. It is very difficult to be silent. And it is difficult to be silent as long as we have a specific idea of what silence is. If silence is the state in where there is nothing added or nothing taken away from what we encounter, then we can experience silence everywhere and all the time the bird song those who took a walk around the lake you heard the wind blow through the grasses even the coughing of our fellow practitioners can be absolute silence but in the moment we latch onto like or dislike, what's wrong with that person? That moment, the silence is broken. So why did you come here? Why did you come here? What is your interest in Zen? Is it enlightenment, awakening? Maybe. Here's a story to that. A young fellow went to a Zen master and said, if I work very hard and very sincere, how soon can I be awakened? 
The Zen master looked at him, looked him up and down and said, Ten years? The fellow said, no, 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 listen. I mean, if I really, really work hard, really hard, how long will it be? The master cut him off and said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I misjudged. 20 years. Hold on, hold on, said the young person. You don't understand, I am 30 years, said the Zen master. This is something that is really important to know in this practice. We have to learn to look at ourselves as a good, better, and eventually wonderful bottle of wine. There is a long time that goes into making wine really good wine. And sometimes it's just lying there on the shelf. Or good cheese. Cheese has to ripen too. And at times, in the stages of that ripening of cheese, it doesn't smell that good either. So the process of a practice like Zen practice is a process of constant fermentation. What about that? A process of not necessarily quick things happen. You know, some people who have very quick realizations sometimes have a hard time integrating them after that. And don't be afraid in the beginning. If we don't have practice in doing something, you know what it is? We have to learn to suck at it. We have to learn to be really, really bad at it. And that just shows that we have the ability to learn. When was the last thing you learned you had like that? It probably doesn't happen that often. And when it happens, it's not very satisfying. Because mm, I know how to do that. But here, it's quite different. And when we say learning, there's also a lot of unlearning in here not following patterns that we had imprinted on us. It could be through our family. It could be through the society we grew up in. It could be, who knows, maybe there is such a thing as karmic conditions. But haste is certainly not something that is very helpful here. Also, if you listen to this young person asking, how soon? It is the spirit of having to get something. The difficult thing in life is the things come to us. We cannot necessarily get them. How did you get yourself born? Hmm? How did you do with that? You weren't even involved in that either. But now we are here, and now we, we think we have to get everything instead of learning how to be open enough and appreciative enough to really be with all the wonderful things we already have. 
here we sit in a heated building in the middle of a freezing season. We have electricity. We have clothes to wear. We have wonderful food to eat. What greater privilege than having life like that could there be to begin with? If we were somewhere in a country freezing, starving, or having to run away from political strife, we would not have this opportunity. So it is something that is quite awesome. And it is something that is not to be squandered. So maybe there's another reason why you wanted to come here. Maybe you're interested in purity. I need to purify myself. Or when you hear all those rules, I want, I want to do the things right. I want to do them right. All of them. How does Zen relate to that? There were two monks, Tanzan and Ekido. They were traveling together, Zen monks. They traveled a lot up and down in Japan, but also in China. A lot of angya, angya is the word for pilgrimage. So Tanzan and Ekido, they were traveling together down a muddy road. Heavy rain was still falling. The wind was blowing, coming just around a bend in the road they met a lovely young woman in a beautiful silk kimono and beautiful obi sash, unable to cross from one side of that muddy road to the other side without completely ruining all her wonderful clothes. Come on, I'll help you, said Tanzan. Instantly, he lifted her up in his arms and carried her over the mud to the other side of the road. She said, thank you. The monks bowed. And they continued in silence their pilgrimage. Overnight, they turned into a temple, which was the usual thing to do. And as they turned into the temple, they made their offerings, and ended up in one room together. And finally, the second monk, Ikido, could not hold back any longer. And he said to his fellow monk, Tanzan, you, don't you know we are monks? We are not supposed to go near any females, especially beautifully dressed up in a beautiful kimono and sash. It is dangerous. Why did you do that? And Tanzan said, well, I put her down on the other side of the road, but you are still carrying her with you. What is right? What is wrong? 
What do we do when we are called to do something? If we see something that is wrong, what do we do? We act. If we just think about it and carry with us ideas of what's right and wrong and what's pure and what's impure, all the things that appear in front of us that need that immediate, open-hearted, open-minded kind of engagement will not naturally happen. What else do people look for when they go to Zen places? Magic. Kimpusan, when will the magic start? Oh, yes. Magic. What about miracles? Let's make it a little higher. What about miracles, huh? Wow. When Banke, Banke was a Zen master in the 17th century uh, of Japan, he was lecturing, preaching at Ryumon Temple. And a priest from a different uh, Buddhist tradition, Shinshu, that is the uh, Pure Land Buddhist school, who believed, and they believed uh, in salvation through the repetition of uh, a mantra, Namu Amida Butsu, Namu Amida Butsu, Namu Amida Butsu. It's called Nen And this priest saw Banke giving a lecture to this large audience. A lot of people were looking and listening to him. And he felt jealous. I should debate this Zen guy. Let's see. Banke was in the midst of his talk. And the priest appeared. He just stepped up there and made such a disturbance that Banke had to stop his discourse and yield to this intruder. The founder of our sect, boasted the priest, had such miraculous powers that he held a brush in his hand on one bank of the river. His attendant held up a paper on the other side of the river. And the teacher wrote the holy name of Amida Butsu through the air. Can you do such a wonderful thing? He said to Banke. Banke replied lightly, Perhaps you, a fox, can perform that trick. But that is not the way of Zen. My real miracle is... When I feel hungry, I eat. And when I feel thirsty, I drink. Every day, occurrences, drinking, eating, breathing, miraculous, wonderful, if we develop the ability to appreciate them for what they are. But maybe you came for philosophy. 
Any philosophy majors here? Maybe for metaphysics. This is the story of Yamaoka Teshu. Yamaoka Teshu was a samurai uh, in a period that was called Bukumatsu, who played a very important role in the Meiji Restoration, early ninth, uh, late, late 19th century. He is also noted as the founder of a specific uh, sword, uh, swordmanship school that's called Itto Shoden Mutoryo. And he was a student of Zen as well. And he visited one master after another. And one day he came to Shokokuji in Kyoto, where Dokuon Zenji was the abbot. Ogino Dokuon is the great-grandfather of my ordination teacher, Sasaki Josho. So desiring to show his attainment to this master, he went in and he said, the mind, Buddha, and sentient beings, after all, do not exist. The true nature of phenomena is emptiness. There is no realization, no delusion, no sage, no achievement, no mediocrity. There is no giving and nothing can be received. Dokuon Zenji listened to it and was actually smoking a long pipe. He didn't say anything, but bang, he whacked Yamaoka with his bamboo pipe which made him very angry. And Dokuon said, if nothing exists, where did this anger come from? Yamaoka Tesho bowed and went back to his room. So these philosophical discourses statements of any kind of abstract nature. They might be helpful for writing a paper about philosophy, but if they are just a description of something we don't know ourselves, they are utterly useless. If you cannot answer the question, Where are you when you hear the sound? Explanation will not do. Zen is about this. not about abstraction, not about science, just
So Zen practice is very practical. Always has to stay practical. Whatever we do here, if we cannot take it out into what is called the everyday life or the outside life, it is not worth really, it's not applicable. Any kind of high, wonderful experience that cannot be taken when it comes Nice meeting you. If you can't bring it into that, then it's again something that is stale. So we have to be practical. You find that also expressed in some of the koans. A monk told Joshu, Master, I have just entered the monastery. I beg you, please teach me. Joshu asked, Have you eaten your porridge? The monk replied, I have. Then, said Joshua, go and wash your bowl. At that moment, the monk was awakened. In the Mumon Khan, Mumon Ikai gives a comment to it that reads like this. Joshu opened his mouth, showed his gallbladder, his true mind, and the depth of his heart. If this monk did not really listen to and grasp the truth, he indeed mistook the bell for a pitcher. He made it so simple and clear it might take a long time to catch the point. If one realizes that it's foolish to search for fire with a lantern light. The rice would not take so long to be done. As long as we use our mind as a flashlight, that, that you shine on everything, as long as we do that, we will always remain in the dark behind the flashlight. It can be very helpful to have a flashlight like that if you go through college and study this or that. But when it comes to life, we have to get away from behind the flashlight and start being that light that shines on all the things that our life comprises. So let me not be that serious. This has to be fun too. I will tell you my favorite Zen joke. It's about two little fish. Two little fish, young fish, in Beecher Lake. Maybe you saw them today. They're very energetic, and they just, they like each other. They zip around all the time, and they come, and suddenly there's this big old fish. They stop in front of the old fish, look at him, and the fish says, hmm, how's the water? The little fish look at each other. Go off. Little while later, they stop, look at each other, and one says to the other, 
what the heck is water? So pointing, we have it, you have it, we are it. It is not something to be achieved. It is just something to become aware of. The activity of Zen, the activity of Dharma underlies everything we do. I could not speak without it. You could not hear without it. We would not be together without it. And uh, I know it is nice at times to hear words that might be inspiring, but then when we find ourselves on the cushion and we are in pain and agony, they go right out the window because we have to confront something that is very strong, our predilections, our dislike of pain, our fear, hesitation, all of that will come at us. And we tend to think that we should work on the things we are strong with already. But that is the wrong place to work on. Where we are strong already, we are strong. This is the place to look at the things where, where we are not so strong. And don't be fooled. There's an interesting story that I will tell you after I have another sip. So this self, this I that we have to use in everyday life in society, because if we didn't have a sense of self in society, people would trample over us and we would be abused all the time. So there's nothing wrong with having that sense of self and that kind of uh, functional identity, not fixated identity, but functional identity is quite important. So, but this story goes back to uh, World War II and the US Air Force was studying the planes that made it back to base from flying over Hitler's territory and sustain heavy damage from uh, the flak, from the anti-aircraft fire. And they mapped it onto the various plane types and decided, okay, we have to reinforce those places where all this damage was sustained. until a Jewish mathematician whose name escapes me looked at it and said, no, you're completely wrong. These are the planes that made it back with the damage. Look at the parts that are undamaged because you can tell if they were damaged, those are the planes that go down. Our ego works in the same, in a similar way. In a similar way, it uses all kinds of tricks like that to make us think that, okay, here is something I have to fortify. I have to be strong. I have to hold on more to it. 
But the only reason for that is that this egoistical self-centeredness just wants to make sure that it will continue to survive without us asking any questions. And we all know what happens if we only deal with completely self-centered people. Look at politics. Look at the state of the world. Look at those who succumb to greed and just accumulate more and more money, no matter what damage is done to society, what damage is done to the planet, and so on. Ultimately, all these problems have to do with large ego footprints. So what we can do ourselves is work in Zazen, work in this practice to reduce our ego footprint. That's how we change things. One person at a time. One act of damaging less. We tend to think that these big problems are things, and we abstract them. We call them climate crisis. We call them racism. We call them misogyny. But when it comes down to it in the end, all they are acts of individuals, which gives us the power as long as it comes to ourselves, not to act as somebody who creates wantonly harm. So when you sit in Zazen and you think you can't sit another minute, try this. Ask yourself, well, can I sit? Is it doable to sit another second? Can I bear this life in this state another second? You probably say, yes, I can do that. Well, then let's do another second. And another second. Until the question disappears. I want to close with one of the most famous haiku in all of the history of haiku and Zen. It is the death poem of Ryokan. And it expresses a lot about Zen. It expresses a lot about life. So let me close with this poetic saying. Ura o mise, omote o misete. Chiru Momiji. Showing the front, showing the back, autumn leaves falling. This has been a Zen Study Society podcast. If you found it to be of interest, please consider making a donation by visiting zenstudies.org slash donate. Thank you for listening.